What's up, everybody? It's Greg here. Just wanted to put an audio disclaimer at the start of this episode. Uh, I'm sick as a dog right now, uh, but Sean and I wanted to see if we could push through and get an episode out this week for the first week of 2023. Uh, So we tried recording in a new way, and uh, you can clearly tell we're not in the same room. And uh, ran into a little bit of some some background noise, which hopefully next week uh, we're back in person. We don't have to run into any of this. So I do apologize. Uh, we tried our best. Uh, if if you want to skip this episode, I completely understand. But I uh, just wanted to give you that uh, note so you don't get halfway through and get a little bit frustrated. Uh, but without further ado, here you are. They played down to their competition. I yeah. think they get overconfident against teams like Arizona, Chicago, Vancouver, and they don't try as hard. And I like to think as a recent example that doesn't involve Edmonton, it's similar to the way Canada played uh, Czechia at oh, the yeah. World Juniors. I don't know if you watched that first game, but like they're out there, they're trying Michigan's, they were just getting super fancy with it, and then the whole game just fell apart. What's up, and welcome to the Crude Oil Podcast, a weekly uncensored Edmonton Oilers podcast with your hosts, Sean and Greg. All right, what's up, and welcome back to the Crude Oil Podcast. It is the Leon Dreisaitl episode number 29. I know I said we wouldn't go with an, uh, a current guy, but we've got to. We've got to. I mean, currently he's... Definitely the best player to ever wear 29 on the team. And I would argue going through this list outside of Louis DeBrusque himself, he oh, is the damn. most notable person by a mile. Yeah, yeah, I forgot about that. That's a good point. I mean, it's also kind of fitting too because uh, we'll get into the injuries and stuff with uh, that he's been battling. But he is back tonight by the sounds of things. So uh, fitting, fitting. It's the Leon Dreisaitl episode. First off, Happy New Year. Uh, Merry Christmas. Hope you're doing well. We're recording uh, in separate places because, you know, just life happens. (laughs) Um, uh, So try not to get Sean sick. Uh, Also try not to cough this entire episode. So we're using the magic of technology and hopefully this actually turns out. (laughs) I think it'll work out okay and I hope everybody doesn't mind. And who knows if it works well enough, we might switch to this format instead. But we'll cross that bridge when we get there. No kidding. No kidding. Um, so diving into things here, it's been five games since we recorded last, obviously the Dallas and Vancouver game before the break. And then we had Calgary, Seattle, Winnipeg. And then uh, as we record here, it's Tuesday evening. They'll be playing the Seattle Kraken yet again, uh, this time in Edmonton. So, uh, a lot to unpack. I, I don't know if it's worth going into every single game, but there's definitely ups and definitely downs in the last five games. Wouldn't you say? I would definitely say, yeah. Um, Mm -hmm. The games against Dallas and Seattle were very, very high highs, I would say. Yeah, good point. Probably two of our better games of the year. Mm -hmm. Um, And then the games against Vancouver and Winnipeg were both equally frustrating in watching because to a degree, I believe we got goalied in both of those games, (laughs) Um, especially with Vancouver with Delia playing way above his pay grade and then Hellebuck just doing regular Hellebuck things. But isn't that finally, sorry, go ahead. No, I was just going to say, isn't that just kind of like very apropos for this team, like to have a really good game, just followed up by a complete stinker. 
Yeah, that's kind of I th- this season in general has been very up and down, mm-hmm. where there hasn't been a huge amount of win streaks and nothing too crazy in the loss streak department, which adds kind of to the mo of Edmonton with just being a roller coaster of a team. Yeah, sorry, I, I cut you off before you finished your thoughts. So oh. Hopefully, you're still on the same page. Yes, I was just going to mention the Calgary game lastly, where we won 2-1, to one, probably one of the closer games this year, and I got what I wanted in a low-scoring affair, and just so happened to be against Calgary as well. It's honestly funny that you've brought that up, because I was thinking, there's a couple of those games where they're really low-scoring, at least for the first half of it, where i like, this is a this is a game that Sean's been asking for all year, just to keep the score low, and uh, unfortunately... Like you look at the Jets game where they ended up losing two to one, like was low scoring, but you just end up on the on the wrong end of it. But I don't know. Well, outside of the Vancouver game, they kept the goals to three goals against one goal against two goals against and two goals against. So I think that's a good recipe for success for Edmonton. And they should definitely take that away from this last stretch of games that Mm -hmm. they're keeping the goals against at three and under. And that gives them a great chance to win as seen in like the six, three and seven, two games. It'd just be nice if maybe they sprinkled those goals out a little bit more. So take two away from the Seattle game, throw them in the Winnipeg game, we win that one too. Yeah, definitely, definitely. It's uh, It seems those games, you know, I don't know if you remember back like in the early, well, maybe it wasn't the early, but like the early start of the kind of the decade of darkness though. Edmonton had such an ability to just beat teams they weren't expected to. Um now things have changed where these are teams you're expecting to beat, but I, I still feel that they struggle with some of the, you know, lesser teams. Um Vancouver is kind of my example in all of this. I understand that they lose to a a a, a pretty good team in Winnipeg this year, but it, it's just very weird. It feels like they're losing to teams that they should be beating. Yeah, the loss especially to Vancouver was a little disheartening considering Vancouver showed up to the airport or they got into Edmonton at like 2 or 3 a.m. Mm-hmm. And then the game happened and it just, it was a game on a back-to-back for Vancouver. They should not have came out and won that game. But to be fair, Edmonton came out with the legs. They got the 2 two nothing lead going into the second period. And then they just fell apart and kind of stopped trying. So yeah. I think that kind of plays into, like you mentioned, that they played down to their competition. I yeah. think they get overconfident against teams like Arizona, Chicago, Vancouver, and they don't try as hard. And I'd like to think as a recent example that doesn't involve Edmonton, it's similar to the way Canada played uh, Czechia at oh, the yeah. World Juniors. I don't know if you watched that first game, but like they're out there, they're trying Michigan's, they were just getting super fancy with it, and then the whole game just fell apart yeah. after that wasn't working, and then suddenly Czechia managed to score a few goals. And that was kind of giving me similar vibes to how Edmonton plays down to their competition, thinking they're better than the other team, or maybe some of their depth guys are like, oh, like McDavid and Dryside will carry us, so like we can just coast through this game and not worry too much about it. Well, and to Vancouver's credit, like I think that's a great example of that game that you used, but to Vancouver's credit, isn't that the game that they came straight off of with the come from behind win against Seattle? Like you've got a team that's coming into Edmonton riding an extreme high on what has been a pretty disappointing season like you gotta be aware of that when they're coming into your arena just because it's back-to-back shouldn't be you know a cakewalk the next day but I don't know it I is mean, at this point like if you asked anybody before this game they were yeah they would have said that this was a scheduled loss for Vancouver yeah 
Is that the new like phrase this year? Like uh, last year is the first time I heard goalied. Now like scheduled loss is like the first thing. Well, with the way the schedule is set up, like I yeah. think that's kind of the idea where it's like, oh, you're going to play. There's sometimes you'll play on the East Coast and then the next night you're playing against Vancouver or something like that in an afternoon game. And you're like, okay, well, we're going to get into Vancouver at 1 a.m. and then we have to play in like 12 hours. Yeah, it's well, and, and looking at the uh, the Seattle game, like that was a weird one. How uh, I honestly didn't even realize the Oilers were playing. I was like, they're playing on New Year's Eve. I know that for sure. I didn't expect them to be in another country like the night before. It's just it, it, the schedule has not made sense this year. No, honestly, the scheduling, I don't know who is doing the scheduling over there, but it's been just a shit show. Like the fact that we should have known, and I think we did before the season started, when they said, you're going to play Calgary three times, have fun. (laughs) Like just a complete joke. But before we get off the topic of Vancouver, I wanted to talk about uh, JT Miller. Yeah. And his absolute buffoonery at the end of the one (laughs) game. I can't remember who Vancouver was playing, but he was not happy with the goalie. Well, the yeah. I, I saw the the comments made today by Boudreaux saying he'd rather have a passionate player than someone who's not like checked in. However, I think there's a line between like promoting healthy competition with your team versus just being so pissed off that you're just acting like an asshole. Like I don't know. What do you, what are your thoughts there? Honestly, I thought it was pretty childish because I didn't believe I saw like Boudreaux, for example, calling Delia to the bench and in. From what I understand, the goalie should not go to the bench unless the coach is like, okay, come to the bench. Right. Like, that's not the goalie's decision to be like, okay, I'm going to go to the bench now. Like, unless Boudreaux's like, okay, let's go, then he's not going to do it. Not only that, but, like, you've got 54 seconds left in the game and you're burning 11 of it, like, bitching at your goalie. Like, just go up, Iceman. Make a rush. The guy that's jumping... Stand there and slash the fucking crossbar like an idiot. Yeah. So, I don't know if you saw this either... But I, I don't know if it was the next game or two games later, but they played Calgary and they were down by a goal or something at the end of the third. They had about eight seconds left and he had a face off um, in the Calgary end and completely pissed off at the defenseman, like in where his positioning was. And he was like slapping his stick on the ice, trying to get it, um, like the guy's attention. I don't know if this is a guy that's like so pissed off at his team that he's already checked out and just wants out, or this is a guy who's truly passionate, but. This is not a good message to send. Like, it's JT Miller. We're not talking about fucking Connor McDavid or, you know, uh, a Kale McCarr or, uh, you know what I mean? Like, I get that he's a leader on the team, but it's just, it's not a good precedent to be, uh, to set. So I, like, honestly, I'd be curious to see what Bo Horvat has to think with all of this. Yeah, well, maybe Bo Horvat's a little checked out because he's expecting to get traded or something like that. So Miller's like, I'm going to take over as the leader of the team. Yeah. But from what I can tell, at least, he's not the type of leader that I would like to have on my team if he's going to be like publicly, essentially publicly shitting on his teammates for doing things that he deems to be wrong. And I don't necessarily respect his opinion on things either. Like There was a recent comment by him a couple days ago as well where they <laughs> asked him about why his offensive production has fallen off. And he's like, oh, it's because I'm like focusing on like my game and the defensive side of the game. And yeah. then everybody just kind of shakes their head and they're like, but your advanced stats for the defensive side of the game are dog shit. Yeah. And they are still dog shit. So that's not exactly a good excuse to fall on. Be like, yeah, I'm focusing on the fundamentals. I was like, well, you're doing a pretty shit job of that too. Yeah. It's it's wild what's going on there. 
uh, and just some of his comments too about like I don't give a shit what people think about me and um I I don't think that like I don't know how to say it but when you're that outwardly like showing emotion and you're giving a reaction for people like you have to anticipate those questions you cannot like just be an asshole to the reporters about it like I I get it but this is it's almost like he's throwing tantrums out on the ice when this should be something behind closed doors but maybe he's hit a breaking point I don't know I don't know well all he really needs is one of the media to ask him why he's getting so pissy (laughs) uh oh I have a funny story when we get to it but uh um, I, I ran into a fellow media member <laughs> uh, on uh, New Year's Eve, so that was interesting. I, I'm not going to bury the lead. I'll just get into it. Uh, we went down to the Ice District to... Uh, I was trying to find last-minute tickets to the game, and it's probably why I'm sick, you know, sitting outside for forever, but um, we ended up going down to the Ice District, and in order to escape from the cold, we walked through Roger's Place and out through Fort Hall, but as I'm walking past... Um, I, I locked eyes with him. I didn't realize how short he is, but I just looked over at my fiance. I was like, that's Mark Spector. And she's like, oh. <laughs> but he's not even watching the game. What is Mark doing? <laughs> he was uh, he was schmoozing with uh, all the other fans there at Fort Hall, probably on his way to the rink. But um, anyways, I just found that interesting. But Uh, i digress uh let's move into some of the the topics i know there's a lot of uh things that have happened but uh is there anything off the top of your list i know this is going to look a little bit different with us in different locations not being able to share notes but i just wanted to pass to you first i would say the one thing i want to talk about like right now yeah just to get it more so over with is the emergence of clem costin and then obviously what happened in the previous game get it and over with or just bask in it <laughs> maybe bask in it is the better term but i just don't want to forget about it so yeah let's talk about it now but i would argue that clem costin has emerged as an easy top nine fixture mm-hmm. outside of or rather he's surpassed a guy like yes he in my opinion yeah he brings such a dynamic game and i i'm so I'm so pleased with the way that he plays, not only the way that he carries himself like on the ice, but he's, he's backing himself up. We saw with the, the fight that he had earlier on this year with uh, uh, Cassian and then was it Cassian? I'm not crazy, right? Yeah, um, yes, he did fight Cassian. And then uh, just seeing the way that he, he deals with his teammates and I think it said it all. I forget what game it was. I think it was that two goal game performance that he had where he like got the uh, got the biker vest, and he was talking about how happy he is to be like with these players on his teams. Like he almost got a little bit emotional, but that that's a guy who just wants to be part of something bigger than him. Well, and he's really taking it and running with it, right? Like I don't think he's ever gotten that opportunity in St. Louis to truly shine, mm-hmm. and. Maybe he just wasn't ready yet and he hadn't focused on the areas of his game that he needed to to make him effective. Like his physicality is has been unbelievable and is fantastic in our bottom six and has been sorely missed since uh, Cassian decided to stop trying. <laughs> um, and yeah, he's been fantastic. And it was really scary to see him potentially get hurt in the Winnipeg game. I was uh, I was a little panicked when I saw the Winnipeg player calling over the medical staff. I know, which is pretty rare when the uh, opposing team is the one calling over the medical staff. 
I was so worried when that happened. I was like, you know, of course, like we, we can't have nice things kind of thing. But it was just so nice to see um, the the post they had later that night just saying he's ready for Tuesday. Uh, I haven't seen anything. I know they've kind of penciled him in the lineups. But, yeah, that was that was a hold your breath kind of moment. Because literally for the past three games, there's been a lot of, like, the team hasn't played bad. But if there's one thing you can almost, like, I say pencil, but actually take a pen and write down in is the, the consistency you're going to get from his game. Well, and it seems like it's an Edmonton curse that as soon as a guy starts turning it on, he's going to get injured. Look at Fogel <laughs> in the cloud when they had that great game against the Rangers earlier this year. And then somehow they both got hurt in that same game. Yeah, yeah. So, I, but yeah, I'm I'm thinking that Costin will be a fixture in the lineup, assuming no injuries. And with that being said, it makes a guy like Pugliarvi expendable. And it's funny because I was thinking about this, like, Clem Costin is a guy who's drafted in the first round. He took a couple years. He got bounced around, never really got time of day in, in uh, St. Louis. And all he needed was a change of scenery and some opportunity and look at him start to, you know, flourish now. And you use the guy that I was going to compare him to is Yesapuliarvi. Like, is that his next step? It kind of makes I- sense that it would be, wouldn't it? I think from Pugliarvi's perspective, he can't help but look at a guy like Costin and just kind of dream like, this could be me. Like, if I got out of this city, maybe I can turn into the player that I want to be. And, like, I know we're, it's probably jumping the uh, jumping the gun a little bit on Costin and being like, oh, yeah, he's finally made it. He's great, blah, blah, blah. Mm-hmm. But, like, we have to give him credit for what he's done. Yeah. From Pugliarvi's perspective, though, the only difference I can really see is that Costin, I don't fully know the background in St. Louis. Like, if he was ever playing on the top lines with, like, O'Reilly or Costin, or, sorry, Thomas or anything like that. Yeah. Meanwhile, Pugliarvi in Edmonton, he's playing with McDavid. He's played with Drysaddle. He's played with Nuge. He's played with everybody. And he just still hasn't solidified himself in the NHL at this point. Yeah. So... I would think that it would make him more expendable, so I would not be surprised to see him gone by the trade deadline. Yeah, I definitely don't think you're going to see Yessa Pugliarvi in an Oilers uniform after this year, but uh, I, I don't know. We've seen it before from um, from Holland. Like He's not just going to trade away players to trade away players, but at what point are you kind of doing the player a little bit of harm, especially if he's miserable the way he is right now or the way he sounds? That being said, um, just shifting gears from Costin, uh, just to see Iessa Pugliarvi get that big smile after uh, after scoring in Seattle, like that was nice to see. See a little bit of monkey off the back, but I think the big thing that I took away from his goal there is just you can see the celebration in the rest of the team. Yeah, the entire team. Like I think that's just a testament to the locker room in general. Is watching any of these players like Pugliarvi, like Costin. Um, and even Matthias Janmark in the game against Dallas. And I'd like to also issue a public apology to Matthias Janmark for shitting on him on the last podcast. And then him <laughs> immediately coming out and scoring two goals, one of which was an empty netter, but he also had an assist and he played fantastic. But isn't that how it works? Like, <laughs> of course. Yeah, well, well, now we're sitting here and we're kind of shitting on Pugliarvi. I'm sure he's going to have a hat trick tonight or something. Yeah, I'd be okay with that. That'd be nice. <laughs> I mean, I ain't complaining. Maybe I should just pick the whole team and just shit on everyone, and then they'll just always <laughs> yeah. do good. Who knows? Yeah, you did it to Fogel earlier, so yeah, who knows? Who knows? Um, yeah, uh, I, I'm i glad we talked about Costin, because I definitely think he's, he's playing a role on this team that uh, we haven't seen in a long, long time, so that's really exciting. 
just wanted to shift gears and and take a look at uh, um, just the goaltending situation right now because Stuart Skinner has completely evolved into our starting goaltender. He's getting the minutes that a starting goaltender should. Uh, I think he's uh, easily our most reliable, but what what does it say about Jack Campbell and and you can see like he's starting to to do kind of the outlandish things with the the new pad setup um he's not getting what is it one start every like six games uh he didn't play terrible against uh Winnipeg but I mean he let in the first was it I I don't know what shot it was but it's like right off the hop and it's just that's his Achilles heel is he can't have a good start and maybe it's just coincides with the Oilers not being able to have a good start, but still, it's just, is this just how the goaltending situation is from here on out? I think at this point, Skinner's kind of run away with it, and Campbell has taken long enough to struggle that I think he is clearly at a minimum 1B, and Skinner will continue his strides. Like, this is reminding me a little bit of Mike Smith in the playoffs prior to last year, where, yes, he has been okay. Like, in, against Winnipeg, he was okay, and he did pretty good. But he's still losing the goalie battle to the yeah. goalie on the other side. And it just so happened it was Connor Hellebuck, who was the same goalie who beat Edmonton in the playoffs a couple of years ago. But... Like, at the end of the day, that's all I really care about from the goalie is, like, you just have to outduel the guy on the other side. And yeah. Campbell has struggled to do that time and time again. Yeah. And Skinner, on the other hand, is, what, on a two-game win streak with two great performances against both Calgary and Seattle, mm-hmm. posting, like, a 947 in uh, in Seattle and a 979 against the Flames. Like, he made 46 saves against the Flames. Yeah. If that doesn't, like, show that he's just... He's just our starter at this point. It's and it's, he, he signed that big contract too. Isn't it just consistent with him, like getting a a forty plus game like every single time he's in net? I don't. It's just weird. The team, like I want to say, the team plays different in front of him, but I think he's just more clutch. Yeah. At the end of the day, That's, he makes the bigger saves and he makes he makes the saves that he shouldn't, which sometimes I feel like Campbell struggles with. He'll let in a weak one, and then some of the other ones just he just struggles with them. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I just wanted to touch on that because I, I wasn't uh, I wasn't upset with Campbell's game. It's just something you keep checking in because, you know, it, there always seems to be a coaching tendency to favor the guy who's been here forever. And you kind of hope that they still ride with the hot hand. And I know that's the one thing that I, I've loved about Jay Woodcroft is he's not afraid to shake up the lineup and ride with what's working. Uh, even if it means that, you know, your goaltender making $5 million is sitting on the bench every, you know, four out of every five starts. Like, it it just is what it is. So um, that's been kind of nice to see over the, the past, I guess, month and a half, really. Well, I think if Campbell would put up, like, a string of some good starts, especially, like, a, like, 10-bell start that he has. Like, say, for example, he's the one who had the 46 saves or whatever against Calgary. Mm-hmm. He would earn himself another game. But in a game where, like, the Jets only scored two. To be fair, the Jets did only score two goals in this game. And he, and that should be enough to win with Edmonton in front of you every yeah. day of the week. Yeah, But he still put up an 882 and got out-dueled. So I like once again I don't think he deserves to start the next game for example they're going to put Skinner back in and if Skinner plays well again they're going to put Skinner back in 
and he's just earning himself, Skidder on that side, is earning himself the net. And meanwhile, Campbell's not doing himself any favors. Yeah. Yep. Very true. Uh, I want to shift gears to a guy that we kind of, it seems we don't talk about him a lot. We kind of make reference to him. But I think we need to spend some time talking about Connor McDavid and what he's doing this season because I think it's just like written in, in stone that he's the best player in the NHL and he, uh, he gets to play for us. But his numbers he's putting up right now are pretty stupid. Like he's got, I, I think I was looking today, I wrote down a bunch of different stats. He's got 72 points, 71 points, 72. And he's 52. 15 points ahead of the second place uh uh, scoring leader, which happens to be uh, Leon Dreisaitl. And then he has 18 points on, on Jason Robertson or something like that. Like, nuts. And then I was watching the Seattle game where it was kind of a stat that was thrown aside. But Connor McDavid has 18 fucking three-point periods in his career. Like, that is so ridiculous. He is a monster in his own right. My favorite thing was watching the Kraken game where he had, like, what, five points? Yeah. But when he had three points, they showed, like, uh, career three-point games against Seattle. Uh, or for him, he had three career – or 100 – I'm going to stop my thought right there and restart <laughs> that thought. So he had, like, 95 three-point games. Yeah. Meanwhile, the entire Seattle Kraken roster had, like, 125. Yeah. So he almost had as many three-point games as them. And then four-point games, he had, like, 30. Meanwhile, the Kraken roster had, like, a career 20. Yeah. So it's... And then don't even get into five-point games because I'm sure the Kraken probably have, like, 10, maybe. Yeah. It's it's just crazy, crazy numbers. Uh, I've heard the, the kind of conversation start about the, the triple crown race, um, which, if I'm not mistaken, only five other NHL players have ever done it. Um, it's just crazy. Goals, assists, and points. Yeah, yeah. It would just be insane to see that. Um, I think it speaks to well, it speaks to his line mates too capitalizing. And I, I, I think it's such a tired um, response when they say, "Oh, he plays with Leon Dreisaitl," or vice versa. Like it's such a tired excuse. You need someone to capitalize. I don't care if you're Ovechkin or if you're Matthew Bunting in Toronto. Like everyone seems to make excuses when. Uh, you use them as a uh, you know an example of, of what a great season is, but I, I you just have to you just got to tip your cap to him. What he's doing right now this year is, is just incredible. Well, to reference like a Toronto example, like you just gave, like if you look at Matthews and Marner for example, like they're great players, but they're not putting up the numbers that these two are, especially McDavid. Yeah. It, so it doesn't necessarily matter who you play with sometimes, especially McDavid these last two games. Drysaddle hasn't been playing. Right. And he, maybe not against uh, Winnipeg, but against Seattle, he, he won that game. Like, yeah. He just took over and did what he does. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, more of that tonight. I'm sure 72 is not going to be the number after. Well, and that was the saddest thing is just seeing his, his scoring streak come to an end against uh, Winnipeg. And that was honestly what was going through my head when I saw the that uh, the end of the game. And then as soon as you see Costin go down, I was like, oh, fuck. And it's just like I completely forgot about it. But that was the other thing I wanted to bring up is just how um, how amazing that streak was at consecutive points. Well, it helps bring to reality that it's just a game, right? Mm-hmm. Like you see a guy get hurt and it takes away from the game in its entirety. Yeah. Um, like 
I don't know if you saw anything about this yesterday, but there was the player in the NFL, Hamblin or whatever, who had oh, went to like man. cardiac arrest during the game. Yeah, yeah. And like, that's kind of like everybody just stopped playing and they just focus on the moment and the person. And yeah. that's what sports really is about, is that there's still people at the end of the day. Yeah. And that can't get forgotten. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I just speaking of that injury and how scary that was, it was, uh, uh I forget how I found it, but, uh, this happened, the similar kind of injury happened to, uh, Chris Pronger back in the nineties, 96, I want to say, where he took a puck in the chest and apparently just take some trauma to the chest at the perfect like time in the, um, uh, cardiac rhythm. And it, it just sets you straight into cardiac arrest. Um, but it's, uh, I just saw Chris Pronger's tweet today, just hoping that uh, he does bounce back and everything, um, and that he has the career that Chris Pronger got to have at the uh, after his incident. So um, it's yeah, very very scary thoughts there. Um, well, it can happen at any point to anybody, really. Right. Like if you look at other examples in hockey, it was Yuri Fisher on the bench right. just went into yeah. cardiac arrest. And then similarly, the same thing happened to Jay Bomeister a couple of years ago. Yeah, and then there's the unfortunate like uh, passing. I don't end up, I don't remember what the direct result was it, but that that Russian prospect um, that was supposed to be the next, uh, they're touting him as the next Fedorov that um, passed away from a heart attack on the bench. Like it's these athletes, like when you're, you're training at these insane, insane um, levels, like. It, your your body can only do so much. So, um, well, at the yeah. end of the day, we're still just squishy bags of water, essentially. <laughs> so, we're this is it's a physical sport similar to football, where that kind of shit can just happen, and it'll come out of nowhere. It can happen to anybody, and you just hope that it doesn't. And anybody it does happen to can get through it. Yeah, absolutely. Um, okay, uh, just speaking of well. This is that's a terrible segue, Greg. Jesus, I was gonna say. Speaking of injuries, yeah, um, they can't all be good segues. Greg. <laughs> okay, <laughs> Leon Dreisaitl, uh returns to the lineup after dealing with a bit of a core injury over the past uh, uh, past few days. Um, do you think it like normally at Drysital? I think we saw it in the playoffs. The guy's gonna play through fucking anything. Do you think this is just one of those injuries where they're like, no, you don't get a say. We need you for later. I would hope that that's the case. Like, if this happened in the playoffs, he might have just played based off of last year's precedent they set. Mm-hmm. Um, but at the same time, like, maybe he's had this for a while and it just hasn't been that bad. Because I know there has been some speculation by a lot of people that Drysaddle may be hurt watching him wince after some body checks and things like that. But I'm just happy that if he's coming back, that means that he's hopefully 100% healthy and he's ready to go. Yeah. And be the dry shuttle we know he can be. Yeah, absolutely. It's uh and this at this point in the season, like I, I gotta wonder what the mentality is with his team if they're gonna be one of those teams that makes a push to make a, a run up the standings uh to in their division, or if this is a team that's like we need to figure out our game, uh, improve on every little point to the like let's save all of our possible resources for uh um for playoffs like is this a team that's you know just kind of expecting to be there or is this a team that's gonna make a a push i say that and a lot of people are probably listening at or listening to this and be like well they're fucking athletes they're supposed this team 
knows how to kind of balance things. This isn't the Oilers of the mid 2000s where you're playing your starting goaltender, you know, stupid amount of games and, and you're you're leaving McDavid and Drysdale on to play those 25 minute games like throughout the season. Like, I don't know, what's your thoughts there? My biggest thought on that is that we are in the second wild card position. Right. So they should be playing the best roster possible every single night and shouldn't even be considering like resting players outside of having injuries that do in fact require rest. That's fair. So Because otherwise we are at a very very large risk to miss the playoffs. Yeah, that was going to be that's kind of why I'm asking the question is like Leon Draisaitl, are you sitting him out because you're confident with where the team's at, the way the team's playing without him and like if the Oilers are, are that worried about not playing playoffs, I don't just from the sounds of the injury, I'm pretty sure he's back in the lineup, you know, that second game out. Just and and I'm saying that based off of the comments that were made about his availability. Um, so I don't know. Well, it's all speculation at the end of the day, but yeah. I would think that the only reason he sat is because he's injured. He would not come back unless he is healthy, and they're not. Hopefully they're not overthinking it because it's a marathon, not a sprint when it comes to this team. Yep. Yep. Very, uh, very true. Um, just looking at my other notes, I, I wanted to talk about Darnell Nurse because he's kind of slipped back into that uh, that quiet role. And uh, he, he was very much for, uh, forefront of, of all these games, you know, leading up to our last episode before Christmas, but he's kind of settled back down. And uh, I think this is Darnell Nurse kind of just needing to go through a rough patch. Well, I'm certainly hoping that. And then he settles into, dare I dream, his actual contract. That'd be pretty cool. <laughs> but, to like, I just need him and want him to focus more on the defensive side and the physicality of his game. I saw a stat earlier that he's currently, I think he's 15th, but he's top 15 in 5v5 scoring amongst defensemen, which is great to see. But on a similar note, it's like I don't really care about his scoring if he doesn't play defense yeah. properly and effectively, then what's the point? Yeah, and, and that's the kind of the reason that I was looking at just all the trade options and stuff that have been uh, uh, tossed around is just like, what kind of defenseman is Darnell Nurse? Or what kind of defenseman are the coaches wanting him to be? Because it, it seems like uh, there's an emphasis when things are, you know, really bad defensively that he needs to to hunker down. But when things start to go better, you see him taking more rushes. You see him making those gamble plays. So I, I don't know. I, I think that the team is trying to make him be a one-fit-all Um and I think if you're going to really look at trade options, realistically, coming down the stretch, you have to figure out what Darnell Nurse's role is going to be. Well, I would certainly hope that he plays a more defensive role only for the fact that we have a more offensive presence on the right side mm. with Bouchard and Barry, and he focuses more on the defensive side of the game. And I don't really know about how, how the coaches are handling it, but it might just be Nurse in general where it's kind of the pitfalls of confidence where when you're not very confident you're not making those like gamble plays or taking the puck up on the rush mm -hmm. but when you start to slowly build that confidence you'll start making those plays because you're like okay i could do this like this is gonna work but then if it blows up in his face he goes back to zero confidence which is also not good so he almost needs to find that middle ground 
Yeah. Where he's not completely unconfident and can't do anything right. And he's not too overly confident that he makes dangerous plays that are unnecessary. Yeah, that's a very good point. Very good point. Uh, just shifting gears. The only last note that I had is just wanted to talk about Dylan Holloway. <laughs> Uh, specifically the game against Seattle and uh, the decision to, to drop the mitts. Thoughts, Sean? First thought is good for him Yeah. to stand up for yourself. That's I love to see that. And then my second thought is he probably needs a little bit of practice <laughs> in that department. Like maybe uh, Costin can give him some pointers Fair. or Nurse maybe. Because yeah. he looked a little bit like a fish out of water on that one, I will say. Yeah, it looked like just frustration boiled over. Um, I, I well, getting cross checked a million times will do that to you. Yeah, I, uh, I don't know. I went through a bit of a, a process because first off, as soon as I saw him fighting, I'm like, "What the fuck are you doing?" First off, he's a skilled player who doesn't fight. Uh, second of all, you're up at what point? I don't know. Was it four one? I have no idea. They have a, a gigantic lead. Um, and then I kind of like got to watch the replays and stuff. And that's the only thing I'll give it to me at the end of the day. It's kind of a whatever um, situation. Uh, I'm, I'm glad that he stood up for himself. This team doesn't seem to do that very often. The one guy that I think of will be uh, clean Costin, like we had mentioned. Um, so it was nice to see him kind of stand up for himself, but like it, I hate fighting in games where you have a a lead like the Oilers had because Seattle scored no less than 30 seconds later after that because it gets you back in the game. And Dylan Yeah, you get to see a little bit of fire in your team, right? Yeah, and it's not like Holloway, you know, um beat the crap out of him or anything. Like it's it, it it's tough. I feel like you just allow your opponents in the game, but I mean, I'm I'm saying that and I'm also kind of scratching off the point that, you know, you got to stand up for yourself at some point. Well, and it's kind of it's kind of awkward for Holloway because you could tell watching the fight that he's inexperienced, right? He, like, grabs onto him, and he's throwing, like, he threw, like, five quick jabs. And the whole time, Dunn's just kind of sitting there biding his time, and then he eventually just throws a huge haymaker and knocks <laughs> Holloway over. I don't know if it was necessarily a big punch that he got knocked over by or more if it was just a momentum thing and he lost his balance. But, like, you can see his inexperience, but... Eventually, one has to be your first. Right. So you know whether or not you, A, can do it, and B, should learn how to do it better. Exactly. I, I don't think there can be a worse first fight than Connor McDavid's. So, um. I mean, that's true. And, like, <laughs> nobody should be fighting, or McDavid should never fight anybody ever. I'm honest. For that exact reason. Yeah, I'm honestly so glad he learned that in junior hockey because, like, I think. It was, he got it out of his system. It's kind of like, you know, going out and, and partying when you turn 18, like you figure it out. You're like, okay, can't do that shit anymore. Like time to learn and move on. So, well, uh, I imagine he got a lot of like McDavid got a lot of shit from his coaches back then be like, why the fuck are you fighting? That was draft for, year. For was anybody, it? Yeah, it was for okay. anybody who doesn't know though, uh, McDavid broke his hand fighting a guy after missing a punch and punching the glass in juniors. <laughs> uh, I mean, yeah, good way to learn, I guess. <laughs> um, that takes care of my notes. What do you have on your side? Uh, I only have a few other things. Uh, one, Kane is apparently ahead of schedule. Yes, which I is saw really that. good to hear. And I'm hoping he comes back soon because he has been sorely missed. And I believe 
he's kind of the last piece of the puzzle for a forward group when it comes to injured players. Yeah, I think so. I think having him in the lineup, like, I was kind of thinking about this. Do you keep cost? Like, do you ever play Costin with Kane? Or is that too much of a presence of, you know, physicality on one line? Well, maybe if it's like the old New Jersey versus New York special and you start all your big guys at the start <laughs> of the game so you can see a line brawl. But um, I can't imagine that there would be that kind of fight because I think we've covered again. We'll quickly cover it now. If Kane's back healthy, it's probably Kane, McDavid, Hyman, then Nuge, Dreisaitl, Yamamoto, Fogel, McLeod, and let's say Costin maybe? Yeah. Or no, Holloway. And then Costin, Pugliarvi, and... Ryan on the fourth line? <laughs> I honestly I would not be shocked if a Pulley deal aligns when Kane returns. Uh, I know well, that's op- a, I don't know if there's a con or a, sorry, a salary cap issue when Kane returns too when he comes off uh, LTIR. Right. Which might play into a Pulley trade, but having Pulley on the fourth line feels a little silly to me to a degree. But I, yeah, I'm with you there. But uh, uh yeah. So the only other things I have are the Heritage Classic was officially announced. It is October 29th, so hopefully the weather's still pretty good by then. <laughs> yes. It's at Commonwealth, and I will probably be buying tickets to go to that game. Yeah, uh, I'll be intrigued to see what the price point's at uh, for those. I mean, you can fit a lot more people in that stadium, but um, I don't know. <laughs> we'll see how things go. Yeah, I would hope that it's not like $200 for sitting in the nosebleeds or something like that. Yeah. But I guess we'll have to see. My wonder is like, I've never been to an outdoor game. I'm just curious about like the optics, what you can actually see. Sure, it's being a part of a bigger event, but like, is it going to be worth it if you're sitting and it just happens to be minus 20 uh, and you know, you're in the, the upper bowl? I don't know. I mean, if you're in the upper bowl and it's a windy day and it's cold, you're kind of fucked. Yeah. Yeah, I guess we'll have to see how that goes. Just make sure you dress in layers. Exactly. And then the last thing I have, which I should have segued to earlier, which is there has been a lot of talk about Gavrikov because apparently Edmonton is out on Chitrin. I've heard that many, many times. (laughs) So with Gavrikov, apparently per Elliot Friedman, the ask is a first and a third um, and maybe like a third equivalent, whatever you would consider that. So if you were Edmonton, would you make that trade? Say either a first and a third or a first and Pulley Uh uh I think it's it's similar, it gives me similar vibes of uh Sherratt last year. Um I I wouldn't be upset if Edmonton gave up the first round pick because I mean it they're not really gonna get anything out of it this year. I don't hear it's a, a significantly deep draft. Um, plus you're a team that's in win now mode anyway. I, I think you got to cough it up. I'd be, I'd be more trying to maybe flip a prospect for him. Um, but I mean, I don't know, just, just because we've got kind of the, I I look at the Oilers in two to three years and I wonder what they do with all of these up and coming like players that are going to push like a, uh, a Borgo, like a, uh, a Lavoie, a Tulio, like all of these players, there's no room to put them in the lineup with the current contracts and and the the players that we have right now. So I think we have to kind of reshift. Like I I'd be I'd be more okay with a first and a like a Lavoie or a a forward prospect. That's just what I'm getting at there. 
So you'd rather that than pulling, like, say, for example, pull your RV straight off the roster? Oh, if, if you can find a way to make that move, um, I think that's beneficial. Yeah, I think you... Because you free up that salary cap. I don't know what uh, Gavrikov's making off the top of my head. Um, I think he's at, like, four and a half or something like that. Yeah, so that cuts the cap hit down to, what, a million and a half? So uh, I'd be I'd be more happy with that. That would make sense. I just... I. I think I've finally come to my senses where I just don't see. I was hoping Puliyarvi would turn around his his season and just find it, but I just I don't think he's got it, and I don't think the Oilers can afford to keep like just putting him in the lineup for the sake of putting him there. Yeah, I can only sit here and like I don't know, hold his hand for so long. <laughs> yeah, until you're like it just isn't working. It's like we said, he's been given the opportunity and it's just not working out. So if they can get a significant piece for their back end, like by trading him away, I'm not complaining. But if they do do that, you have to really hope that we don't run into any more injury troubles. Because yeah. the nice thing about Pugliarvi is, to a degree, he can play anywhere in the lineup. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, that's a good point. Um, taking a look ahead, Edmonton's got Seattle tonight. Uh, let's get a little bit of a mini homestand here. Uh, Seattle tonight, Thursday against the Islanders, and Colorado on Saturday, and then they'll jump back on the road. They're playing the Kings next Monday, so we'll see when the next episode comes out. But uh, aside from the Oilers, a couple, well, we hope a couple big games uh, in the, the Juniors. Canada facing the U.S. tomorrow. I have no idea what to expect because the competition from some of the teams and the way they've played in games in and out, I don't know. Do you have any expectations for tomorrow my expectations for tomorrow in that game are Connor Bedard's gonna be ridiculous yeah as he has proven to be and I'm a little bit concerned because I find I think the U.S. has some pretty top-end talent like I know Logan Cooley has been playing fantastic Mm -hmm. so that's been a little scary and Canada has been a little bit like I guess inconsistent sometimes like, obviously, there was the Czechia game that we talked about, but then they absolutely decimated Sweden, right. which, like, to a degree, I wasn't expecting them to, like, throttle them that hard, even though Sweden's had a lot of injuries. And then the game against Slovakia was incredibly close, and Slovakia played great. Yeah. And the reason why Slovakia played so well is they played a really physical style, because you can't really outskill Canada. Like, yeah. There was argument before the tournament started that this was one of the best Canadian rosters of all time. <laughs> Individual um, skill. So, yeah, and like you could see that when those guys are out there. Like obviously Bedard tips that scale pretty hard, but there's some really good players on that team. Yeah. Um, so if the U.S. comes in with the right strategy and is able to execute it, like if they can play a very choppy physical style, then I could see it being a lot closer of a game than some people might expect when you look at just the quality of players on each team yeah i also think that just on top of everything that you said i think the goaltending is a little bit of a weak point for canada um i was trying to think about this so we were talking about this over christmas and we went back and like looking at the starting goaltenders for team canada and world juniors i think in the last 20 years there's four current like nhl starting goal uh, goalies right now like and that's Mackenzie blackwood that's jordan bennington like it's it's very few and far between. So does that include Carey Price and Carter Hart too, or is Carey Price further back? I think that's where I cut it off was uh, after the 2003 run. Um, but yeah, it's it's very like very um, 
Carter Hart would be the only other guy that that really stands out. But well, yeah. some of the guys were supposed to be a lot better. Like you look at like a Zach Fucali, he was supposed to be pretty impactful, <laughs> right? He yeah, never turned out. And then uh, I just hope that we get another Justin Pogi one of these years. I was just gonna say <laughs> that was the other guy I had penciled. Yeah. <laughs> All right. But I believe that's all I have. Yeah. I, I don't think that went too bad for uh, uh, for doing this online. I mean, it's better than doing it from across the world. So <laughs> I hope the audio turned out well. Uh, if not, uh, live and learn. This is what happens. But we'll, uh, we'll check back in next week. I uh, hope everyone gets a good start to their 2023. And uh, that very much includes this hockey team. So uh, we'll see you next week.